This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's not as though the added costs that we've been talking about are making the driving experience better. On the contrary, according to the city, driving is up to 85% of pre-pandemic levels, and it's a nightmare with congestion seeming worse than ever. There's tons of construction. There are patios still lining the streets. Drivers are ornery, and there is a big speeding problem. Yesterday, it turned deadly as a speeding driver killed two Zoomers, a 69-year-old woman and a 79-year-old man while they were sitting in traffic in their car near High Park. Um, So what do you think and what is your experience on the roads? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now, let's bring in Tyranny Anderson, who is a co-founder of Safe Parkside. That's where that horrible crash happened. Police Constable Sean Shapiro with Toronto Police Traffic Safety Programs and Dr. Bahu Abdelhai, a professor at the University of Toronto and director of the Toronto Intelligent Transportation Systems Centre and Testbed. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having us on. Constable Shapiro, let's start with you. Uh, I read the police press release about that horrible crash. Um, we don't know uh, from that very much about it. Do you, can you tell us what the rate of speed of that Mercedes that crashed caused this multi-vehicle collision was? So it was a BMW. Um, I don't have a, a, a speed that I can share. It is an active investigation uh, by members of the Toronto Police Service. Uh, but uh, it, it was a high rate of speed when it uh, came into contact colliding with uh, a Toyota that was uh, looked like it was stopped. And uh, uh, so, you know, it would have been a high rate of speed to cause... The, were five vehicles involved there? Yeah, so the, uh, the original vehicle uh, struck the... Uh, uh, the vehicle that had the two uh, two persons that are unfortunately deceased at this time, uh, the uh, uh, that then created a, uh, a chain of events where the vehicle proceeded to hit other vehicles and other people were injured. Uh, um, this kind of a crash, I mean, what do you, what do you have to say about it? There's a lot of you know, am I dreaming? There seems to be a lot of congestion. There are a lot of areas where there's a, a backup of a lot of people waiting to make a turn or to go down a street, and then other people get kind of impatient and start, you know, doing stuff. Well, there's never an excuse, regardless of congestion, for, for speeding uh, or, or driving even at a, uh, a rate well above standing traffic. You know, safety has always got to be uh, the focus of every driver uh, driver's responsibility. Uh, you know, as, as to what happened here, uh, we can't speak to more of it because it's an active investigation. But we, we want to really stress that drivers have a responsibility to keep the vulnerable road users and other road users, uh, even in cars, safe. Uh, through their actions and their decisions, because collisions are avoidable. It's through the choices of drivers uh, that we generally see these collisions occur. Has this driver been charged? Uh, I, I don't have information in relation to that at this point. Uh, I, I do understand that they were uh, they were injured themselves, but beyond that, I don't have information. Let's bring in Tyranny Anderson. Tyranny, uh, you've been involved in trying to make this particular intersection safer for quite a while. Yeah, we have seen many drivers going well above the speed limit. Um, it's a 50-kilometer-an-hour street, Parkside. It's also a community safety zone. Um, and I would say, you know, it's harder to find a driver that's not going 80 or 90 on this street than it is to find one that is actually going 50. Um, it's habitual behavior that people have gotten used to. Um, people are rushing etc. But what happens is someone stopped. I, I, I think I have my facts right. I think they were actually turning. They weren't stuck in congestion. They were turning. Um, and the driver was just going too fast, possibly swerving. Uh, and it's amazing how quickly something like this can happen. Uh, 
what is unsafe about the particular design of that area, in your opinion, Tyranny? A few things. So I think having multiple lanes of traffic can be problematic when there isn't enough traffic. So what we've seen since the pandemic is actually there have been fewer cars on Parkside Drive. And what that means is if there's two lanes, certain cars can get the aggressive ones. It's always the, the ones that are passing or racing up the inside, which we see all the time, um, can get going up to these speeds of 80, 90 kilometers an hour. Um, so I think part of it is, is having the space when there isn't that much traffic uh, and there has been a reduction in traffic. I think the fact that Spring Road, the thing we've been really worried about, we've been worried on all sides about potential fatalities, and we've actually said one was going to happen. We're very, very sad we're correct about this. Um, But we've also been worried about pedestrian safety. It's one of the major entrances to the park. It's been much busier uh, since the pandemic because more people are accessing High Park, which is great that people are. Um, But to cross at that light, it it can be treacherous. People run the light. Uh, There's all sorts of bad behaviors we're seeing. So uh, a lot of potential for improvement. Dr. Abdul-Hai, in your opinion, how much of this is bad behavior? How much of it is bad design? Well, it's it's both, actually. I want to establish the fact that checklist driving must be adequately punished to eradicate it completely. It's simply unacceptable. Uh, I caution on the flip side, again, is knee-jerk reaction where we lower speed limit uh, everywhere ridiculously. I see, like, in many places now going down to 30 kilometers per hour, which simply people ignore. Um, Like, a reasonable speed um, is known to be the 85th percentile speed, which means the speed that 85% of the people, reasonable people, are comfortable at. So we should keep that in mind while setting the speed limit. However, having said that, some roads, because of the design features, um, are inviting, inviting to speed up. As as, uh, the previous guest mentioned, if the road is wide um, and straight, then people just get the momentum and, and don't feel the speed and end up speeding, in which cases we need to bring in selectively um, what I would call active speed reduction measures or self-enforcing roadways, meaning design the road in a way that people naturally would pick a speed that is not too high. Examples of this in the uh, present situation that we're discussing, uh, narrowing the lanes is a possibility. Another possibility is the so-called horizontal deflection, like instead of having a straight stretch, uh, all the way that invites people to speed, you introduce some islands that would make people zigzag a little bit to reduce speed. There's also the so-called vertical deflection, which is like raise the crosswalk or raise the intersection for, for cars to slow down. But the simplest, in my opinion, and I, that I find effective is rumble strips. If a, a spot is known, uh, for overspeeding or for high accident rate, um, horizontal rumble strips uh, warn, gives feedback to drivers, and the shaking of the car makes them slow down. This is different from speed bumps, though. Speed bumps I'm not a fan of because they create problems with snow plows, and it also can be hazardous if you don't notice them. Okay, Doctor uh, Constable Shapiro. Um, is it, uh, you know, we just got some pretty staggering numbers of tickets issued by by speeding cameras. Um, how effective are those, and do we need to have a lot more of them? Well, certainly folks don't like them because they uh, they tend to catch people doing what they want to do as opposed to what they should be doing, and that's speeding. Uh, are they effective? We saw in the first uh, year, I think it was September of last year, the mayor came out and spoke about one person who had been charged 12 times uh, by the same camera at the same location. So... Uh, whether it's effective, um, I, I can't say. Uh, I certainly know that I would not be speeding in an area, <laughs> you know, if I, if I knew that there were cameras there. I think it's a great deterrent. Uh, but enforcement does dissuade, uh, you know, people to uh, continue in a course of action. Uh, if you put police officers or speed cameras in place and enforcement is high, uh, we tend to see a reduction in speeding. And again, the, uh, having the follow through with courts and so on, uh, I think is effective. 
Would you say that we need more of them? I mean, the the things that that I encounter on the road, it kind of leaves you shaking your head, even though it's you know it's not like I have a long commute or anything. Well. My understanding is the city of Toronto has been looking at expanding the program. Now, that's not a Toronto police uh, program. That's a city of Toronto program. But uh, more cameras may, uh, may be beneficial. And is it your perception that the congestion has, has just gotten a lot worse? Well, if you're talking about from the, uh, you know, the, the lowest time we saw during the pandemic, it's, it's going back to where we, closer to where we were pre-pandemic. Uh, but that's driving in the city and any city for that matter. Yeah, it's um, it's it's difficult. What about the increase? Uh, there's a lot of construction, and I know that the city gave a lot of rush hour construction permits that they haven't rescinded, even though there's more vehicle traffic. Uh, tyranny, um, does that have any impact on what happens in your neighborhood? Well, it's interesting. It, it might not be the answer you're expecting. Um, the bridge at the bottom of Parkside Drive has been under construction for about two years during the pandemic. And what it, what happened is it reduced it to one lane. And it was almost like a, a brilliant pilot project because it, because it actually helped things. Slowing down, congestion isn't actually a problem on Lower Parkside right now, not as much as people say it is. It's a prevailing narrative that it is, but actually it's the opposite. It's that cars are are free to get up to higher speeds and they're feeling aggressive. So when we had the construction here, it actually made things safer. We were able to leave our cars parked out front during four to six and it actually slowed things down. It didn't uh, create stoppages. So people were still able to go 50, 60, probably even 70 at times, um, but it wasn't creating a problem. So uh, we actually did petition our counselor to remove the four to six parking prohibition during rush hour. Um, and they did that and it has made a huge difference to this side of the street, people traveling north on the street. The accident happened on, on the south, people traveling south side, which is still two lanes. So we're hoping something similar might happen on the other side. Hmm. Uh, one of the things, I'm not sure if uh, this is what Dr. Abdul-Hai was referring to. I know something that cropped up uh, near my house. It was. It's like at the top of a hill on Christie, there's this raised ramp. And I had actually asked Barbara Gray about it, and she said it's to make people waiting at the bus safer. But it's, it's quite um, unsafe for cars if you don't know it's there. It's hard to see. Eventually they put a little yellow paint on it and I heard that a city truck just did a lot of damage going over it and uh, I'm just curious, something like that, you know, when when the winter comes and it's covered with snow uh, you know, aren't those things dangerous? Uh, Dr. Abdul-Hai? Oh, that's why I'm saying uh, rumble strips are much preferred, in my opinion, uh, uh, compared to raising the road, as, uh, as you're mentioning, because, yeah, they are covered with, with snow, it's hazardous, and uh, if you don't see it and drive over them, it can, um, uh, like, push the car and, uh, off the road and so on. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend them. But rumble strips that I'm talking about are dips in the road, kind of similar to what you see on the shoulders of freeways. Like if you sway out of your lane, the car starts shaking when it goes over the rumble strip. So that gives you feedback to to get back in the lane. Similarly, on uh, uh, city roads, if you uh, create those rumble strips, we give drivers positive feedback to slow down. But in general, my preference is to control speed with the geometry of the road and with rumble strips as opposed to uh, radar speed traps because um, people get annoyed by them. They think that they are a money grab. I'm sure this is not the intention, but if the road is inviting and poorly designed or designed in a way that induces higher speeds, then we shouldn't rush into issuing tickets. I, I, I have I to fix so. the road first. I really think that we can't take the responsibility off the driver in control of a car. They're licensed. They know the rules uh, to suggest that they, uh, because the road is larger, that they have license or they're invited to do it. I appreciate what you're saying, but at, at the end of the day, they're responsible for the choices they make, and they are choices. They're decisions to act outside of the acceptable uh, rules and putting lives at risk, and they're doing it on a regular basis.
And what about uh, construction, Constable Shapiro? Uh, can we pin anything on that? There just seems to be a lot more of it. I don't think so. I think that planning ahead, knowing your route, knowing where you're going to go, and and understanding that if you leave earlier, you're going to get to where you have to go, and especially knowing that we have construction. It's a a full-time job in the city. We're always doing something. We're growing. And uh, to to be surprised and upset that construction exists uh, is just poor planning on on the part of the driver. And I I don't want to sound that I'm not sympathetic to people having to get to where they have to go, but... It, it's a city, and it's constantly being uh, repaired and uh, expanded. And uh, as I said, the city says we're up to 85%. I'm assuming that it won't be very long before we get up to 100%. What are you, uh, Constable, expecting then? I, I don't have a, a projection for, for what will happen other than uh, we'll have more traffic, and uh, especially with the you know roads that are either uh, one-ways or have bicycle lanes now. Uh, you need to expect that things will take you a little longer than they may have taken you in the past. Uh, and it's the cost of uh, trying to create a, a safer infrastructure for vulnerable road users, and, and again, all road users. So uh, plan ahead. Uh, know where you're going before you get there as best you can, and leave the suitable amount of time so you're not stressed out and you don't uh, find yourself speeding to make up lost time. And then we're all going to be a little safer. Well, by the way, I'm not condoning higher speeds. What I'm saying is we have to design the road in a way that creates the desired speed. Or not to speed. Um, let's take a call from Br- Bill in Bracebridge. Hello, Bill. Hey, Libby. I think you're the actual expert on this call. Um, you mentioned frustration. Driver frustration is through the roof. You know, they build bike lanes. They put patios out in, in the roads. They congest traffic. And they're talking about putting speed bumps in, rumble bumps, blah, blah, blah. Too many lanes. Too many lanes is not the problem. Drivers are out there, they're getting frustrated. It leads to aggressive driving, and this is what they're getting. So they're, they're narrowing the arteries of the city, and what are they doing? Building condos everywhere, just increasing density. They're just making the problem worse. They're congesting the flow of traffic, and they're adding to it. Okay, Bill, thanks for that. Thanks. Uh, Tyranny, what's your reaction to that from your point of view? How much of it is uh, just people who are frustrated or, you know, where you are as close to people getting on or off the lakeshore? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can attribute it entirely to um, congestion. I think this past year and a half has taken a toll on a lot of people. Um, There's all sorts of statistical evidence of that when it comes to people's mental health. Um, So there's definitely a lot of stress, aggression. Um, Congestion wasn't a factor in this case. Two lives were lost. I met the daughter of the deceased this morning and comforted her. Um, She has to explain to her three-year-old on Friday at his birthday party why his grandfather and grandmother won't be there. Um, Oh, my God. we can lose sight of the humanity of this. So we can get into arguments over, like, we all agree the city's not designed well for for what's happening. The pandemic didn't help because transit was being less frequently used. Um, What we need to do now is find solutions and and stop anyone else from dying. Like, it's actually relatively simple, and I think it has to be case by case with Parkside, um, when they took away the four to six, as I said, everyone was saying it was going to create congestion, and it didn't. So I think we have to get data um, quickly. I don't think it needs a year study to find that data. We have all the people who live here and see it and can comment on it. It's pretty easy to figure out uh, how many cars go up the street and how often. So it's really just trying to find some of these solutions, maybe testing some of these solutions, and keeping people safe. Like, how many more people have to die? We said a year ago, we said we didn't want it to take a fatality for this to get focus from the city. And that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. That's terrible. Uh, I'm going to take a quick call from Brian, who's driving in Toronto. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. I'm a salesman on the road, so all the comments I'm listening to, it's my everyday life. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit militant in my thoughts here in that I think that what we really need to do is we need to have some more severe penalties for repeat offenders. I mean, we all, uh, it used to be that the speed limit on most streets was 60. Now it's 50. And I was only brought aware of that by being pulled over because I was doing 60 kilometers an hour in what used to be a 60-kilometer zone. 
So now I do 50. But if someone, like a repeat offender 12 times being fined from the same intersection, they need to do something significantly more severe than a simple fine, because obviously it's not working. Well, yeah, they should take away that license. Brian, thanks for that. We are uh, basically out of time. I'm going to go around the table 20 seconds each. What would you like to leave us with, Dr. Abdul-Hai? I'd like to leave us with uh, thoughtful design to encourage proper speed. Okay, tyranny. I'd like to leave you with uh, swift action from the city to try and prevent loss of life. Um, In this instance, it is technically street racing when they're going 80 and a 50. So we're talking about a group that is doing something pretty severe. So I agree with the constable that there have to be bigger penalties for those people doing things that are incredibly dangerous and lead to exactly what we said was going to happen. Constable Shapiro, last word to you. Thank you. At the end of the day, we all have the power to make safer roads, and it's through our actions. If we all uh, drive safely, we will be safe. Uh, it, it is simply a choice, and uh, while I appreciate all the other factors can make it easier, we all have a responsibility as drivers. Okay, thank you so much. Constable Sean Shapiro, Tyranny Anderson, and Dr. Bahar Abdulhai, thanks very much. And, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On to another big factor in the high cost of driving. That, of course, is auto insurance. And the NDP says the industry is gouging drivers. Now, during the first year of the pandemic, traffic volumes dropped to levels that we have never seen before. They were really low. And so did insurance claims. So they also had a record low at just 50% of premiums, that number from the General Insurance Statistical Agency. So how did that affect profits in the industry? They had staggering profits last year, $3.63 billion. Now, The Insurance Bureau of Canada, which, by the way, did not want to send a representative to speak about this, points out that it gave Ontario drivers $1.3 billion in rate reductions because of less driving during the pandemic. And remember, that only happened after the government stepped in and publicly rebuked them. But... Okay, they gave $1.3 billion in rate reductions. Overall, premiums actually went up by a total of $198 million. They kept applying for increases for whatever reason, and the regulator let them have it. And one more number before we dig into this. The industry has a regulated profit provision, and that is 5% of premiums. And it was exceeded. It hit, get this, 27.6% last year. And that is more than five times than the regulator allows for. So let me give you the numbers again. What do you think of that? Did your premiums go up? 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to bring in Terence Kernahan, who is the NDP consumer protection critic. Hello, Terence. Hello, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. So, um, what is the problem here? Well, you know, in Ontario, we pay some of the highest car insurance rates across Canada. And it's infuriating that throughout the pandemic, when people are doing the right thing and staying home and staying safe and limiting themselves to, to essential travel only, that premiums were increased. It, it, it flies in the face of what was actually happening. You know, the cost of living is is increasing dramatically in Ontario. You know, as you were just talking with Dan McTague, is that, you know, gas prices were hitting record highs over the weekend. 
you know, last year, only after public outcry and after being shamed by the opposition and the press, uh, Ford said he would... And the government, too. (laughs) Give him a little credit. (laughs) Oh, yes. But, uh, you know, he said he would reduce premiums uh, after, you know, being shamed, but he failed to do it. They, They amended auto regulations uh, to allow insurers to provide rebates, but that didn't mean that those rebates actually got to people. You know, Ford's been letting, you know, these greedy insurance companies gouge Ontarians. Well, I remember with those rebates, there were a lot of conditions attached. Oh, yes. And you had to be sure that you weren't going to drive, you know, one kilometer more than you said. And and if you did and anything happened, they weren't going to cover you. Absolutely. And, you know, these aren't uh, these aren't decisions that you can easily make and predict the future. I mean, you know, if you have to go and, you know, take essential trips to, to get groceries or what if your family has an emergency? You know, you don't want to run the risk of, you know, it, you know ruining your coverage as a result. You know, these are stipulations that were placed on there that were totally unfair and put people in a, a real predicament. Let's hear from Marie in Etobicoke. Hello, Marie. Hi, Libby. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, uh, yes, I have a huge complaint about auto insurance. Number one, for years, the government has been telling us they're going... To, I'm sorry, I have a very noisy line. The government has been saying that we're going to get uh, rebates, and it never happens. So I called my insurance company, as everybody else, uh, when the pandemic struck, I was uh, I was at home. I, you know, 99% of the time, I didn't go anywhere other than groceries. So I called them this year, and I said, you know, I, I changed location, so I had to change information. And I asked them, what about a rebate? And they just sort of, if I could see their face, it was, would have been like, are you crazy, woman? Why would, why, why would we give you a rebate type of attitude is what I've got, that they weren't, they didn't have to do that. So, well, were, were you driving, could you quantify? I mean, I know that they have different rates from what they call a ledger driver to what they call, a, you know, it depends on how much you drive to begin with. Uh, well, I had put it down at roughly 10000 uh, uh a year because I was doing a lot of volunteering. However, with the pandemic, I stayed at home. I am a senior, and uh, I wasn't going to take any chances on uh, on getting ill. So I was at home, and like I said, I, I drove... Uh, Three or four kilometers uh, once a week to get my to get my groceries, and that was it. So. And did you tell them that? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Um. And and I'm not certain, but I should be getting my auto renewal within the next few days. And uh, I I just hope that there is no increase because. Uh, you know, they know I'm not going to be doing that 10... Well, I told them I'm not going to be doing that 10,000 uh, kilometers a year anymore because I don't travel long distances. And they said, well, there's barely a difference between, um, you know, grocery shopping type of thing and 10,000 a year. Like, they made it seem as if 10,000 was a common denominator for an older person who doesn't travel 800 kilometers out of town uh, once a year or twice a year or every other month, Whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know. I mean, and it it may be that according to their calculations, yeah, there's it's already what they would consider low mileage. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's very frustrating. Have you shopped around? There's another issue. I was broad, broadside by a transport truck uh, oh, no. a year oh. year ago in December, and the transport truck did not stop, so I'm at fault. So now I cannot get lower insurance because they've got a black mark on my on my uh, in, uh, my my driving record because I'm a risk. Well, I wasn't the risk. The transport driver swiped me off the road, you know. And um, yeah, so that's another issue. I'm I'm stuck either selling my car or staying with the uh, with these people. So it's very 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 frustrating. And, you know, now, should I have That's, another accident, whether it be my fault or not, then I may as well just... Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the other thing. Uh, with certain things, and it's not just auto insurance, but with, with other types of coverage, you know, they say we're, we're not 
raising the rates. We're removing the discount that you have. Um, Terrence, <laughs> what do you have to say about that? Uh, thanks, Marie, for your call and good luck to you. You know, Marie has pointed out some, some really important issues. You know, the, the government, uh, you know, supposedly provided an option for insurers to provide these rebates uh, for consumers. And the government claims it's, you know, in the, to the tune of $992 million. But just allowing these insurers to do the right thing doesn't mean that they did the right thing. So, you know, there some. I recently, uh, my partner and I were renewing our insurance. And, of course, the question was asked, what about a rebate as a result of driving less throughout the pandemic? And the answer that I've received and many of my constituents have received was that, well, you should have asked for it at the time. And so that it's, you know, apparently the, the profit they've received, they're not willing to part with. But, you know, they've also provided some ridiculous options that I've heard uh, from some insurance companies throughout the pandemic that drivers could switch to comprehensive insurance, uh, which has always been an option, uh, which leaves you with very little coverage. But then when the consumer will go back and amend their coverage when they're back to driving as normal, that their premiums will go up by nearly 30%. So where's the savings when you're getting penalized for for changing back? Well, yeah, that's uh, th- that. That's another thing, exactly. You know, because then you're a, a new customer or or w- whatever. There, there are so many little rules and wrinkles. Uh, let's hear from Roger and Caledon. Hi, Roger. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so furious with the insurance companies here, I, Libby. I got to tell you. Uh, so I, I, I live in Caledon. And um, I have I live um, in Calvin, and I have my mailing address on on my insurance as in Brampton. And I went to renew, uh, renew it or whatever, and they jacked my my insurance rate by almost seventy five percent. Went from like two hundred and change to almost five hundred. If you if you live in Caledon, why is your address in Brampton? Right. So I, I'm my Calvin. I, I have several people living here, and this is my insurance papers. And so I had my mailing address. To my mom's residence in Brampton. Well, Brampton is has the highest insurance rates of, of any place. So, um. but they, they okay. So they offer you an, uh, a place to, to put an an, op, an, an optional e- a mailing address, right? I mean, that's on the form. Do you want your mail sent to your home address or to an, another address? So why do they offer that if they're not going to? You know, accept a Brampton as a mailing address. But furthermore, my problem is is my my license has my Calden address. My ownership has my Calden address, and yet they want to give me a rate on a Brampton address. Well, that that sounds like a, a straight up mistake on their part. Have you tried to clear it up? I had, you know what? I had to change brokers. Or sorry, I had to change companies. I had to go from my broker had to go to a different insurance company. And I had to fight with the original insurance company to get that all straightened out. And they tried, it was just, but this is the kind of stuff that they do. It makes zero sense. My license and my ownership, which is what is legally required by insurance and the police to have the proper address, both show Caledon. So why are they, why are they giving me a rate based on Brampton? It makes no sense at all. And I've spoken to them about this. And they, I mean, obviously it is a mistake, but they're not going to admit it. Well, that's that's just really bad customer service, though. Brampton, I mean, there's that's a whole other issue is postal code uh, rates. Uh, uh, Terrence, uh, what do you have to say about that? Absolutely. You know, where you live should not allow uh, insurance companies to gouge you even further. It's a disgrace that, you know, in these areas, you are absolutely uh, under, under the thumb of the insurance company and... You know, the NDP introduced legislation in 2012 uh, to end the postal code discrimination, which is what insurance companies engage in. And we introduced it again in 2018. Now, what was very curious was that this conservative government uh, introduced legislation that they claimed would do the same thing, but it was the devil's in the details, as it always is. And they, in the legislation, they indicated that postal code would not be a primary factor 
for uh, determining your rate. However, it, it didn't uh, exclude it entirely from their, their calculus. So as a result, people are still paying outrageous fees in certain postal codes in the GTA. And it's simply and utterly wrong. I mean, you know, if it weren't bad enough that during a time when, you know, people are not on the roads, they're not getting in accidents, they're paying more, that the people in Brampton and other uh, GTA postal codes are paying astronomically higher fees just so that insurance companies can pad their pockets. Okay, uh, Terrence, we are uh, out of time on this. 20 seconds, what would you like to leave us with? Well, you know, we need to end postal code discrimination and we need to make sure that the insurance companies are regulated properly to make sure that that they are only posting a certain level of profit. There's nothing inherently wrong with profit, but when Ontarians are paying for the profits that insurance companies make across Canada, I, for one, think that that is wrong. I think that people deserve a fair marketplace. Yep. If you're supposed to get 5% and you end up with 27.6% in profit, hmm, yeah, we, it was we, a we good year. You stand up for consumers for once. Okay. Thank you so much, Terrence Kernahan, the NDP consumer protection critic. Thank you, Libby. Bye-bye. We are taking another break and we are going to continue our theme of driving. We're going to talk about congestion, about safe driving. There was just a horrible crash. Parkside Drive yesterday, two people, two Zoomers killed while they were sitting in traffic. Uh, just appalling, uh, and we will get to all that. And on that note, um, I want to know what you're finding going back out. I mean, it seems like the traffic is terrible again. Apparently, driving rates are about 85% of pre-pandemic levels, but there's huge amount of construction, all kinds of other stuff. We will get to that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Have you filled up your gas tank lately? The price is shocking. Yesterday, I paid one forty-four point five cents a liter. And uh, that was a bit higher than the average Ontario price of 143.3. A week ago, the average price was just under 137, and a year ago it was a dollar two. So this is happening because of a spike in oil prices, and a spike in oil prices is usually good news for the Canadian economy. Oh, but not this time. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, what are your experiences at the pump? Has it changed your driving habits? What do you make of it? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Dan McTague, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Hello, Dan. Hello, Libby. Good to be here again. Oh, good. Good to talk to you. Uh, So why is this happening? Well, the world demand for oil is outstripping its supply. Uh, That's really in a word. And uh, although it seems bad here in Canada, because we've now broken new records, as I explained uh, last week uh, here on the station, uh, that we would be uh, breaking those records on Thursday, um, we're likely to continue to see upward pressure on prices Although it's not as bad as what we're seeing in Europe, what we're seeing in Asia, what we're seeing in South America, where it's not just a combination of uh, cooler weather, less wind, not being able to produce solar energy and, uh, you know, uh, less uh, sunlight. It's really uh, about uh, no one really expected demand to come back like this. A little bit like housing prices here in Toronto. No one expected a pandemic to create a frenzy of buying, the likes of which we have uh, uh, rarely seen. Uh, if, if not at all. So the world is playing catch-up. Unfortunately, uh, oil producers, and I'm not just talking OPEC because they have their own clients, but most importantly us here in Canada and uh, in the United States, we're not producing as much oil. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, many companies are not in the business of losing money as they did last year. Other companies simply can't get financing. Um, it's not lost on people like myself who've been pointing this out for some time that in our 
our desire to move, go green, we also have you know people like Mark Carney going out saying, "Hey, stop investing in uh, in, in fossil fuels." We have the International Energy Agency uh, going out saying, "Stop building and, and investing in fossil fuels," only to realize that you know maybe that's a bit of a longer term situation. But what's happened now, Libby, is that we're painting we've painted ourselves into a corner. We've not made that transition. We're not going to for the next 10, 15, or 20 years. Uh, but it's almost as if they're saying, well, we can just turn off a switch or, you know, all buy electric vehicles at eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000, and everything will just take care of itself. So what we have now is a shortage of supply at a time in which demand is peaking and for which no one really has any uh, quick uh, fixes in terms of supplying the market. What's the relationship of our dollar to all this? You mentioned this in the intro, and I'm very happy you did. In the past, when Canada sold lots of oil at high prices, so in 2008, 2014, when we saw oil prices spike back to 110 120 $140 a barrel, the Canadian dollar actually kept pace with the U.S. greenback. That's critical. Uh, Levy, everybody has to know that any commodity that we use in this country, and it doesn't really matter what it is, is priced in U.S. dollars, whether it's made here or not. And what's really critical with all that is that in the past, we've had the advantage of being the petrodollar. We sold 4 million barrels of oil every day to the United States. The value of our currency went up. People invested more oil and more natural gas and more uh, pipelines. Um, that hasn't happened in a long time. We have discouraged the building of pipelines. We've taken it and lost about $150 billion in net revenues. And what that's done is it's depreciated uh, the effect of the Canadian dollar. It still takes 125 pennies there about to buy a U.S. dollar. Last time we saw prices at record levels, uh, or even $80 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate, that's our North American benchmark, uh, you know, the Canadian dollar was within five cents of the value. But what does that mean? Well, for gasoline, it's an extra 13 cents a litre. So the Canadian dollar, uh, maybe you can cheer it when it, you know, it strengthens, uh, but in this case, it's remained weak. And uh, although some people say, well, hey, we can, we can sell more gasoline, uh, we can sell more widgets, we can do all sorts of things, the fact is uh, it really destroys the purchasing power of every Canadian. And it's not just for gasoline, it's for food, it's for the clothing that we buy, anything we buy, everything we have is in U.S. dollars, whether we like it or not. Well, the, the, our dollar is up a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> but it should be on par, Libby. I mean, that, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't have a 25-cent difference, which works out to 25% exactly. What that means, by the way, is it was, an extra it, 13 cents a litre. It was uh, it was over eighty cents yesterday. Closing number. Yeah, yeah. It's still. Uh, I have to look at the other way. So when I do my one, two, three, and four day predictions on Outlook, I have to multiply the value of the uh, uh, of the Canadian dollar to the rising price of energy. And so while the Canadian dollar is rising in value versus its American benchmark. It's not rising as fast as the price of oil or the price of gasoline on world markets, which for Ontario is the New York Mercantile Exchange. So, you know, you get a 3% increase in oil, you're only getting a half percent increase in the value of the Canadian dollar. We're still falling behind. Hmm. So what I'm saying is that, you know, in the past, we, got, we were shielded. Yes, you had a price increase, but it wasn't as, as, as impactful. And it's one of the main reasons people scratch their head, Libby, and say, hey, wait a minute, McTagg. Uh, you know, the, when we had eighty buck, uh, when we had one hundred and twenty buck barrel oil, we were still paying a buck thirty eight, buck thirty six for fuel. How come we're paying eight or nine cents more? Well, that explains it. Over and above the carbon tax, which is ten cents a liter. All in all, between the carbon tax and the government's move to try to restrict pipelines and diminish the oil and gas sector at a time in which it's needed, it's costing you and I about twenty three cents a liter more right here in Toronto today. Let me give the numbers out again. Again, audience, I'd like to hear from you about what you have found when you filled up, if it's affecting your driving habits. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, for a long time there was a very little driving going on, certainly the first year of the pandemic. And I gather that it is back to 85% of pre-pandemic levels. I mean, certainly anyone driving will tell you the traffic is kind of nutty. Um, so what impact does that have on things, Dan? Oh, big time. Well, look, they were bor- uh, the border is opening soon, so Canadians will be able to travel. If they don't travel somewhere further south in the United States, they travel across the border. Uh, airlines are starting to pick up uh, volume and passengers. Uh, when that shoe drops, 
um, I think it's likely to uh, to further the increase in the price of energy. Unfortunately, it's not just, of course, gasoline. Uh, you know, natural gas is up three times. That's on the market, by the way, not on terms of the actual price we're going to pay. But market prices are what five twenty, five thirty, and MMBTU. This time last year, it was a buck ninety-two, buck, uh, buck, uh, two bucks. So we're two and a half, three times higher on on that. Diesel prices continue to rise because, of course. This pent-up demand, these ships, these rail, these trucks have to deliver products. And so as they see higher prices, they have to pass those on. And guess what? Is it any wonder that we're seeing higher prices for food? And on that score, Libby, what really has me more nervous than anything else is because natural gas is heading up so high, one of the most important critical elements of natural gas isn't just its heating features and used uh, you know, commercially and otherwise. It's also an important component in producing ammonia, fertilizer. When you start messing around with the cost of fertilizers, it does increase the cost of production of food. And so I don't see any end to this. And, and more importantly, I don't think we're going to be out of the soup in terms of continued sustained high prices for at least the next year and a half. And even then, uh, the federal government has an intention to impose a second carbon tax, which is called the Clean Fuel Standard. Add 16 cents a litre to the cost of gasoline on December 1st. 2022, so in about 14 months. Well, you know, you mentioned the cost of food, and of course, a big part of that is transportation, and we've been talking about that a lot here. And I think that the overall number is food inflation should be about 5%. But, you know, when you go to the grocery store and pick up certain items, it certainly seems higher than that. Yeah, staples are way higher. I shop with my wife all the time, and, uh, you know, it, I'm surprised when she comes back, you know, the family, and we're, we're spending perhaps this time versus last year an extra 60 or $70 a week more than we did uh, uh, pre-pandemic. Um, this is just a symptom of the bigger problem, the larger problem. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. It's not just about energy prices, but the fact that energy hasn't even started to raise, uh, you know, its, it's, it's ugly head. Uh, we're just at the beginning of what could be an energy super cycle, what some people think is an energy crisis. And I agree with them. Um, it's going to make a real mess of things. And I, I, you know, I think the federal government, along with uh, global governments, are going to have to get a little bit more serious about the idea that they can make this quick transition uh, to fossil, away from fossil fuels because it's, uh, it's indispensable to uh, providing global stability at a time where the economy really has to shine. It has to come out of the, uh, you know, out of the, out of the woodwork. It really has to get out of this rut that we found ourselves in, you know, caused by COVID. So uh, pay down all that debt and those things. You've you got to have more uh, you know, emphasis on more pipelines, more energy sold, uh, more Canadian clean energy sold to the rest of the world, including China, which plans to build out another two, 300 coal plants, all but destroying any attempt by countries like ours to reduce the emissions. Hmm. Let us take a call from Stephen Markham. Hello, Steve. Hi. Hi, Bob. Years ago, uh, the difference between regular gas and premium was eight, six, seven, eight cents, right? Yep. A liter. Why yep. is it up to 40 cents a liter now? Steve, excellent question. Excellent and question. As, as, sorry. And if you go up to Port Perry, it's less than half of what these idiots in, in the city are charging. Hmm. So everybody should know, I have a site called gaswisdom.ca. Okay. It predicts prices. There I put gasoline, I put premium, so you got regular, premium, and diesel. Uh-huh. I want everyone here to know that because this is rarely raised. These are two good points now, <laughs> big points that no one else talks about. Thank goodness you're doing this, and Steve's raised this. The actual cost of the gas station, differential between regular and uh-huh. premium, is $0.09 cents a litre. Plus well, why do they charge 40 well, that's where they're making the money. When you see a lot of these guys, ah, uh-huh. charging, just, you know, just like their the, the, the bottle of pop is, is, yeah. is three dollars. <laughs> at, at no frills is ninety-seven cents. There you go. And bottle of water. I mean, my I, I went out uh, last week uh, back to uh, our uh, food basics and bought uh, twenty-eight bottles of water for uh, two o nine or two nineteen, if I remember. Wow. And you, you know, any one of those bottles in a in a in a retail store sells for you know anywhere from a buck nine to a dollar ninety nine. Well, so, don't don't buy it at the airport, Dan. That's my advice <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, listen. I, here's important note: a lot of gas stations tend to shave their retail margins. They're only making seven cents with, when you, when people pay with credit cards. They lose three cents right off the top, and the cost of doing business is more than a penny or two a liter. What they're doing is they're using premium gasoline 
as their go-to way of recovering and recouping any loss. Because, of course, during COVID, no one went into stores. No one went into their, you know, uh, unless they're buying coffee. So critical that what Steve's raised is that differential of 20 cents a litre between what it costs them and what they're actually charging. So it costs them only 10 cents a litre with tax. Why are they charging 32? Uh, well, that extra 20 cents is the way in which they operate a lot of those gas stations, especially the big ones downtown, you know, in the areas where the, the, the taxes are very expensive for municipal taxes, et cetera. So that's a really good point that he raises. And uh, in part in in, uh, in Perry Sound or in places like that, I mean, they just don't have the same kind of volumes. They don't even have people driving around with vehicles with uh, hybrids or people uh, driving with cars that need premium gasoline. And final piece of advice, and Steve's raised this, if your car says run on regular, don't, for goodness sakes, please don't buy premium. Unless your car was built in before 1989, uh, no car running on regular should ever have premium. It's not going to make a whit of difference in terms of your performance of your car. It's not going to lengthen the life of the car or give you a better drive. Okay, that is good advice. Uh, I have a question. Like I said in the beginning, yeah. I paid 144.5 yesterday, and then uh, when I looked it up, that was higher than what was listed as the highest price yesterday. So yeah. <laughs> was that just the gas, the gas station thinking, yeah. hmm, Libby's coming? Yeah, well, look, uh, the gas station uh, put a $0.07 retail margin. That's what they had at 144.5 because it's costing every one of those stations a buck thirty-seven to buy. Now some stations will get a bit of a discount because they move big volumes like Costco, so they get better than any other gas station. They get three cents off, but they don't honor all credit cards, and you have to have a uh, you know a membership. So it, it's up for the person to think of whether they're getting a deal or not. But here's where gas stations have to compete in every given market, and this is another piece of advice I'll give. Rather than buying your gas in the morning, wait till later in the afternoon, evening, if, if you can, after supper. Sometimes they drop at two or three cents a liter, especially when you have competition among several players. But really, the, the big enchilada here isn't the, the last seven cents. It's the first dollar thirty-seven, And we really need to look at the role of governments. Uh, Libby, you and I did interviews back 20 years ago yeah. when I pushed to get the government to in some way, shape, or form uh, try to find a rebate, especially heating rebates. Because you don't want these diesel oil heating oil, natural gas prices going to the roof where people can't afford to heat or, or eat and that they have to make that decision. So I think the Trudeau government would be wise to consider a, a rebate because I did two of them in 2000 and again in 2003, at least to show the government, which gets this tax, it collects 13%, eight goes to the province, five goes to the federal government. Rather than collecting this windfall, give some of it back as opposed to, you know, stuffing your pockets to, you know, to buy programs or whatever you're doing out there. I think it belongs to the people out there and we should give it back. Anything else you want to leave us with, Dan? I think you've covered everything here, uh, but I got to tell you, Libby, uh, tomorrow will be no, no change. Uh, that is the wholesale price. But Friday, it looks like a one penny increase. So we'll be back. We'll see a lot of stations potentially at a dollar forty-five point nine. I'll know better at about four o'clock. But check in with uh, my site. It doesn't cost anything. There's no advertising on it. I just put it up there with a funny little wizard on it. It's gaswisdom.ca. And if you look at that, it'll give you the tomorrow's price. It'll give you Friday's price, and usually around four o'clock in the afternoon, the day after. Okay, lots of good information. Thank you so much, Dan McTague. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Looking forward to doing this again, Libby. Okay, we'll do it again soon, uh, I hope, with better news. (laughs) (laughs) Take care now. Thank you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, another aspect of the very high cost of driving auto insurance. People want to hear from you on that note, too. The numbers before we go to break, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.